This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. You remember the story of Daniel. Daniel saw in the Word that it was time for Israel to be delivered from bondage, the bondage of the Babylonians. And so he prayed, started praying, and he didn't give up. He prayed and he fasted for 21 days. Well, finally, the angel shows up. And the angel says, from the first day which you, when you prayed, or first day that you set your heart to seek the Lord about this, I was sent from heaven. Well, now, folks, if heaven is 21 days away, then heaven must be a long, long distance. No, that's not it. Angels can get from heaven to earth instantly. Well, what held him at bay for 21 days? The angel said that it was the, was the devil's forces. This prince of the power of the air, this ruler of the darkness, of spiritual wickedness in high places and so forth, was what this angel had to push through. And it took 21 days because there was only one man, but one man exercising his authority was able to push the devil back even though his answer was delayed for 21 days. God sent the answer instantly. The devil delayed it for 21 days. If one man can do that, what would the church be able to do if we were operating in our authority and the knowledge of what we have? Now, folks, that's what God has intended for us. Do you realize what a different world this would be if Paul's prayer in chapter 1 came to reality in the lives of believers worldwide? That's the point Paul's trying to make. The church wasn't operating in its authority in Paul's day any more than it is in ours. But that doesn't mean the power is not there. That doesn't mean the authority is not available to us. So at one time we were the children of wrath, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. Now this refers back to verse 1. Help the translators to be able to translate it. You may notice in verse 1 the words hath he quickened are in italics, which means the translators added those. So when the translators got the original text, they just got, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, and you what? It, they knew that it referred back to the prayer that Paul prayed in chapter 1, what we know of as chapter 1. But what does the and you refer to? Well, verse 5 tells you. It says, and you were quickened. And you were quickened. You were made alive. Now, Paul departs from, um, from his normal pattern here. In, in other letters. For example, in Romans, he talks about how that we died with Christ and were raised together with him. Paul's not talking about dying with Christ. He's talking about being dead in trespasses and sins. Baptism is a picture of the death of the old man and the resurrection of the new man being raised into new life in Christ Jesus. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about God found us in a dead condition. Now, Jesus' death signified ours. It, it counted for ours. But we were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, here's the question. And I, I know people don't stop and think about these things much, but I want you to for a little bit. And that is this. When God saw that man died spiritually, he was watching in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned. 
And spiritual death overtook man just like God said that it would. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, he didn't die physically, but he did die. So how did he die? He meaning Adam. How did Adam die that day? He died spiritually. In other words, he became dead in trespasses and sins. Just like we were, but without Jesus. So God knew and God planned from before the foundations of the world, before Adam and Eve were ever created, before the earth was ever created, before the universe was ever made, however long ago that was. God had planned for a redeemer. Well, he knew that his plan would include the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. He told us that in the Old Testament. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So somebody had to shed their blood. Well, who else is there? besides God and man. That's all that existed. An angel can't do it. An angel is not made in the image of the likeness of God. Only man was. So who's going to die for man? God can't die. How would you kill God if he, if he was able to die? Who can kill God? How can God die? And there's nobody except God and man. So God can't make the sacrifice for man. So what happens? He had to send Jesus to become a man. Folks, that's why, and it's a, it's, it's, with some it seems to be a minor point, but it's a huge issue. Jesus on the earth called himself the Son of Man over 65 times in the Gospels. He called himself the Son of God three or five times. Three of those are in the same setting. Jesus did not identify as the Son of God. Now, he did identify as God as his Father. But he didn't identify as the son of God. He did identify consistently, constantly as the son of man. Why is that important? Because only man can sacrifice himself for another man. Jesus didn't die as God. Jesus died as a man. That's why he had to lay down his life. He died as a man. He sacrificed his blood as the offering, the eternal offering and sacrifice for man, because this is the condition, the spiritual death condition, dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the influence of the devil and the bondage of our mind and our flesh. He's, sell, he's telling us very specifically, this is what Jesus had to die for. And only a man can die for man. God couldn't do it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Jesus wasn't God. He was all God and he was all man. But he did, the Bible says, very specifically, lay aside his heavenly power and glory to become a man. So he gave something up to lower himself to become a man here on the earth. That was God's riches in glory because he loved us. The riches of his mercy because he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, God has quickened us together by, with Christ. By grace are you saved. What did he do? He made us alive in him. Why? Because, because Jesus sacrificed himself, offered himself as a substitute for the trespasses and sins, both Adam's sin and your personal sins. So he quickened us together. He made us alive together with Jesus. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. If God quickened us together with Christ, how were you quickened? Were you quickened physically? Did you experience a physical resurrection? Or a spiritual rebirth? A spiritual rebirth or a physical rebirth? Not resurrection. But which way were you born again? Which way were you made alive? In spirit or in body? 
Well, certainly in spirit. Well, then how was Jesus made alive? Had to be in spirit if he's a substitute for us. If we were quickened together, if we were made alive with his rebirth, then he had to be reborn spiritually. That means he had to die spiritually first. Now, again, I know this is a controversial issue with a lot of the church, but it's not possible for it to be any other way. If you experienced a spiritual rebirth, if you were quickened together with Jesus, that means Jesus had to be dead, dead spiritually and then be born again. And that's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus was fir- the firstborn among many brethren. Firstborn. Well, what? In what way? See, a lot of the church wants to say that just means God raised him from the dead. Well, yeah, but what do you mean by that? They like to say that means God raised him from physical death. Well, if if so, if Jesus was just raised from the dead physically, then physical resurrection or physical rebirth is the only thing that belongs to you. Your spiritual nature wasn't changed. Because Jesus had to pay the price for you. So if you experienced a spiritual rebirth, then that means Jesus had to be quickened in the same way or made alive in the same way. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Jesus had to die spiritually. Now, how can God die? There's only one way. First, he has to become a man, and secondly, he has to lay down his life. That's the only possible way, which is exactly what the Bible says about Jesus. So even you were quickened together, even when we were dead in sins, as he quickened us together with Christ by grace through your saved. Verse 6, and has raised us up together. Remember, that's what that power in uh, chapter 1 was, uh, the display of power in chapter 1 was talking about doing. It raised Jesus up. Well, it raised you up at the same time. Now, folks, I want you to understand, this is not saying you had a similar rebirth as Jesus. It says you had the same one. You weren't quickened together in like manner with Jesus. You were quickened together just in the same way. You weren't raised up together kind of like Jesus. You were raised up together exactly like Jesus. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's an exact duplicate of what Jesus did. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven to say that for you, you are free from the influence of sickness and disease. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. That's easy for us to read chapter 1 where Paul talks about the display of God's power when he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand it's easy for us to see that with Jesus but Paul again stepping back and taking the big picture view of the church and that's the theme of the whole letter to the Ephesians is the church 
Paul is saying very specifically, just as God made him alive from the dead, spiritual death, he made you alive from spiritual death. Just as God raised Jesus up, God raised you up. Just as God sat Jesus down on his right hand in the heavenly places, that's where you're seated. Now, why doesn't the church exercise authority on the earth? Because we don't know where we're sitting. You go to a ball game, you know where your seats are. You go to the opera, the symphony, you know where your seats are. Matter of fact, you'll pay extra to get good seats. But so much of the church world fails to realize where their seats are. We need to know where we're seated. When you know the authority that comes along with the place that you've been seated with Christ in heavenly places, you realize what it really means for all things to be under your feet. Think of it like this. Heaven is a real place. The throne of God is a real place. His right hand where Jesus is seated is a real place. Jesus is really sitting down at the right hand of God the Father. And that place is far above all of the things on the earth and certainly far above all the things that the devil can do on the earth. So if Jesus is going to do anything from the right hand of the Father, how, how do I say this? How big a problem do you think Jesus sees the stuff that the devil's doing down on the earth? That's the same way that we should see the problems that the devil is doing around us. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You know, when I finally realized that, it changed a lot of my praying. Because before then, it was kind of like the devil's closing in on every, on every hand, on every side. And it's like, oh, dear Jesus, help me, help me, help me, because there's such a problem that I'm in the middle of. But when I realized that positionally, I'm seated at the right hand of God the Father, it's kind of like looking back down on things and seeing how small they are. Say, well, we do need to take care of that, Father. But it's not nearly the issue. It's not nearly the problem. It's not nearly the pressure that sometimes we feel ourselves to be under. Why do you think Paul, by the Holy Ghost, told us these things? Because he wanted you to know where you are. He wanted you to know that because of where you are, seated with him in heavenly places, at the right hand of God the Father, side by side with Jesus, not beneath Jesus, but side by side with him, to give us a perspective on the things that we endure here on the earth, the things that we encounter. We need to have a perspective on these things, folks, because you've got the exceeding greatness of the power of God working in you now. And that power that's resident in the church, even though in most cases with most people it's not being exercised, is enough to hold the devil at bay. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, everybody say ages. How long is that? That in the ages to come. Now, folks, I want you to realize he did not say that in eternity to come. He said ages. Ages delineates uh, or, or defines specific periods. Now, I didn't say time because I don't think we can equate time with eternity. But there are specific periods that Paul is impressed by the Holy Ghost to tell us about. When you get in heaven, there won't be just this never-ending whatever. 
when you and I get to heaven, Jesus comes back for us, there will be periods that God has a plan for. Now, I don't know what those are, and the Bible doesn't tell us what they are. But the Holy Ghost gives us a hint that there will be purposes, if not times, periods where God's purpose is to do one thing and a purpose for a separate thing in a different period. Now, what does that mean? I have no idea. But notice it says that God has seated us with him, with Jesus in heavenly places, so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Here's the word exceeding again. He used that earlier in the, um, uh, uh, in the chapter or in the, in the first chapter. It means hyper. It means super. It means so far beyond the norm that you can't even compare the two. The exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? That means that there are there is the willingness of God, the favor of God, the goodness of God that's stored up in a vault in heaven that's so far beyond anything that we've experienced or could experience here on the earth. You just can't even describe it. What I want you to understand, folks, is when you get to heaven, you may think you know about the grace of God because you got there. But he hadn't even started showing you. God's goodness and God's grace after we leave this earth is so far beyond. It's immeasurable now. But it's so far beyond what we have here. that It's going to take him periods of eternity to show us. You know, when the Bible says that God, it says further in, uh, in the same letter, chapter 3 and verse 20, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Well, I wish that would dawn on us. We think we tap out God's power when we pray for healing or finances or what it's for God to change some situation in our life. God's so far beyond, so much more able than anything you could ever even dream up for him to do. Think about that for a minute. I don't know about you, but I can dream up pretty impossible things. Think of space travel and time travel and stuff like that that people have thought up for movies and books and and other stuff. God's bigger than that. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Remember where we started? We started as those rotting zombies walking around, bound by the influence of the devil in our thinking. And this is what God planned. And God saw us that way all the time. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew he'd create man in his image. Man would become the zombie-like creature, spiritually dead individuals stumbling around through the earth under the devil's influence, under the influence of his enemy. Folks, I want you to understand something. Since Satan is a created being, And God planned for the redemption of mankind before the foundation of the earth. The probability is God knew that he would create an angel that would become his enemy. And the implication is God knew that man would become his slave, his enemy's slave, the devil's slave, before he ever created him. But God is so much greater able to bring him back from that slavery that God said, no problem. And he instituted the plan that he revealed to us. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, this, uh, the Greek language is interesting in this respect because we know of the past tense and present tense. If we conjugate verbs, we know past tense and present tense. Well, the, the Greek has a past and a present tense too. For example, the Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us uh, from the curse of the law. Well, that's past tense. Not just in the English, but in the, the Greek aorist tense. That means it's past. It's done. It's once and for all. It's taken care of. Now, the Greek also has a present tense, which means something is, is right now. But the Greek has something that's called the perfect tense that the English doesn't have. It incorporates both past and present. And that's the tense that Paul uses here in verse 8. It says, for by grace are you saved. This is the perfect tense through faith. Let me read this to you from Weiss translation. For by the grace have you been saved in time past completely through faith with the result that your salvation persists through present time. And this is not from you as a source. It is of, of God. It is the gift not from a source of works in order that no man would be, no one would be able to boast. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, commentators and, and uh, um, scriptural doctrinal experts, so to speak, argue about whether he means faith is a gift or salvation is a gift. Well, I don't know what the argument is. Both are. Salvation certainly is a gift, but the faith you get saved by is a gift that comes from the hearing of the word. It's the way God designed his word. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's a gift that's given to you through hearing. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, for by grace are you saved. Now, remember, this has past and present tense implications because of the context that Paul says this. Because remember, before Jesus, you were the dead zombie, the dead corpse, rotting corpse zombie that God decided he was going to show his love to. And so it took care of both trespasses and sins. It took care of sins past, meaning Adam's sin, the original sin that brought spiritual death upon mankind, and your personal sins even to the present. Does that mean God hadn't forgiven the things that you'll do in the future? Well, when you do the things in the future, they become present. And so, of course, they're covered. Doesn't mean you don't have to confess them. Doesn't mean you don't have to repent. But it means salvation is an all-encompassing thing. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul makes the this, this statement specifically because he's going to talk about the circumcision later on in the chapter. He's going to talk about the Old Testament blessings of Abraham. He's going to talk about the covenant God made with Abraham. And so he's going to set things up here because the Jews were all about works. The obedience to the law of the old covenant, the law of Moses was all about works. So Paul sets himself up and says specifically, it's not of works lest any man should boast. But then in verse 10, he said, for we are his workmanship. Now the word workmanship literally means masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Now remember one of the things that the Bible says that Paul prayed for in chapter 1 was that we would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What does that mean? That means that we would know what belongs to us, who we are and what belongs to us, because of what Jesus did for us. If you'd start thinking of yourself as God's masterpiece, you'd live your life differently. So many times we think of ourselves as God's mistake. 
Or we think of ourselves like, well, I know God loves all of mankind, but that doesn't mean me individually. Well, of course it does. You're his masterpiece. Now, you may not be the masterpiece that I would have drawn or created. And I'm sure that I'm not the one that you would have made. But God saw the unique things in you that I might not appreciate and the unique things in me that you might not appreciate and considered it masterpiece because it's what makes us unique. And that's what he's talking about. He says, for we are God's masterpiece, his finest creation. For we are his workmanship, masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now compare verse 9 and verse 10. Paul says salvation is not of works. Please notice Paul's doctrine. He said, and nobody said it stronger than he did, salvation is not and can ever be associated with works. But now that we're created in Christ Jesus, new creatures in Christ Jesus, God intends for us to commit and live and practice good works. You don't become saved because of good works, but now that you're saved, you should operate in good works. And that's what he's saying. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's why he created you. He made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus so that you could perform righteous acts. Why? Because every father wants his son to be like him. Every father wants his daughters to have his character traits. Just like God. He wants you to be like him. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What does it mean God has before ordained that we should walk in good works? That means when God planned you before the foundations of the world, when he sacrificed Jesus according to his plan, made the plan for redemption before the earth was ever formed, before probably before any created being ever came into existence, certainly way before man ever came into existence. God ordained that you would be made the righteousness of God through the sacrifice of his son, becoming a man himself and offering his precious blood so that you could live as a righteous man on the earth. Now think about what that means in context with what he said. We are the light and the life of God walking among rotting zombies who still haven't found Jesus. And God's plan, ordained before the foundations of the world, the creation of the universe, God's plan was that one by one by one, these rotting zombies would be made new. Joined together as part of his family, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, with authority to stop the work of the devil in their own lives and in the lives of others. That's what the church is supposed to look like. That's how God sees the church now. Even though we may not be living up to it, that's what God sees in us now. That's how he sees you. He sees you as the light. He sees you as the life, his life. He sees you as his power operating in the earth. Now, you may see the earth as the big snarling dog that's bearing down on you, but God sees you as the living thing among the dead. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. One translation says that means a new species of being. 
God put his spirit inside of you and made you a new person. You're not the person you may see yourself to be. Learn to look at yourself through the lens of God's word and walk according to what he says about you. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Now, dispensations always start with God reaching toward man in some way, either a general or specific way. And the dispensation always ends with the failure of man. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.